Section 29 of The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 3, edited by Francis Ralt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter 10, The Electromagnetic Telegraph, Part 1. As early as 1774, Lesage constructed an electric telegraph consisting of 24 wires, at the end of each of which was a pithball electroscope, and in 1816, Ronalds constructed a line of one wire using pithballs and two synchronous wheels. He endeavored to bring the matter to the attention of the British government, and received the really exquisite reply that, Telegraphs of any kind are now wholly unnecessary, and no other than the one now in use will be adopted. A very important step was taken in 1828 by Harrison Gray Dyer of New York, who invented a method of recording in which a discharge was made to pass through a sheet of moistened litmus paper moving at a uniform rate. A line was actually set up and experimented upon in the same year. In all of these systems, it was proposed to use frictional electricity, but even with the present vastly increased power of production and control of this species of electricity, a successfully operating telegraph would hardly be possible. The real electric telegraph began with Galvani and Volta, and as already intimated, more than one system has been fairly successful the fundamental principles of which were understood before the close of the first decade of the present century. The complete solution of the problem, however, would unquestionably have been postponed for many years, but for the discovery of Orsted in 1820. Immediately on its announcement, the telegraph became the dream of many men in many countries. Concerning its origin and growth, says T.C. Mendenhall in his Century of Electricity, the great majority of Americans have been singularly mistaken. The popular impression seems to be that it is exclusively an American invention, and that in America it was almost exclusively the product of the genius of one man. It hardly need be said that these impressions are extremely erroneous. Ampere, whose genius had accomplished so much in the early development of the theory of electromagnetism, was probably the first to suggest its use in telegraphy. His method was founded on Orsted's experiment. If a needle could be deflected by an electric current, if this could be accomplished by a wire or wires of great length, and if these movements of the needle could be converted into a code by means of which letters or words could be expressed, then the electromagnetic telegraph was possible. Ampere's suggestion was to employ a number of wires and to deflect a number of needles. Considerable attention was given to the development of this idea for a number of years, following the discovery of its fundamental principle. The progress of the invention was seriously retarded by the publication of an investigation by Barlow of the Woolrich Military Academy in 1825, in the course of which he discovered that there was an enormous diminution in the power of a current to produce effects with an increase of distance, and which led him to declare that the project of an electromagnetic telegraph could not possibly be successful. 
The invention of the electromagnet by Sturgeon apparently offered a new solution of the problem, but, owing to the imperfect construction of his magnets, the difficulty of overcoming distance was not diminished. This obstacle, which seems for a time to be insurmountable, was conquered by Joseph Henry in the manner already described. Out of Orsted's experiment grew the needle telegraph, a form which prevailed for several years in Europe, until it gave way before the evident superiority of that founded on the electromagnet, which grew out of the researches of Henry, and which is generally known as the Morse or American system. The needle telegraph was first in the field, and its working will first be considered. Many of its earlier forms appear as suggestions only, no attempt having been made to put them in practical operation. In 1832, however, Baron Schilling, a Russian counselor of state, had a working system in which 36 needles were used, and which included an ingenious alarm for calling the attention of the receiving operator. It consisted of a device by means of which the movement of one of the needles released a small ball of lead, which, by dropping upon the mechanism of the alarm, set it in operation. A model of this system was exhibited before the emperors Alexander and Nicholas. A little later, the two illustrious German philosophers, Gauss and Weber, established a successfully operating line at Göttingen. It was two or three miles long, and a double wire was used. Magnetic needles or bars, freely suspended, were used as receiving instruments, and the arrangement included a device for setting off an alarm clock. The current from a battery was first used, but afterward, the secondary or induced current was substituted. This line was in working order in 1833, and was established mainly for experimental purposes. The practical development of the scheme was given over to Steinheil, in whose hands it grew with rapidity. In 1837, he had constructed several miles of telegraph, extending from Munich to various points in the vicinity. His work appears to have been officially sanctioned by the government, and his wires doubtless constituted the first electric telegraph ever erected for commercial purposes. The system included a method of recording the message, as received, which might also be read by sound, the signals being distinguished from each other by the use of bells differing in pitch. But altogether the most valuable contribution made by Steinheil, says Mendenhall, was the discovery that the use of a double wire was unnecessary, it being possible to establish electric communication between two points by the use of one wire, whose terminals were joined to the earth through plates of metal or other conductors exposing considerable surface. As it largely reduced the cost of construction, this discovery was of prime importance. It was really a repetition of what Franklin had long before accomplished, when he stretched his wire across the Schuylkill River, but the relation between the two experiments was not at the time appreciated or fully understood. Both the science of electricity and the art of telegraphy owe much to the genius of Sir Charles Wheatstone, whose interest in and connection with telegraph enterprises began in 1835, in which year he exhibited one of Schilling's telegraphs in his lectures, and in the year 1837, when he formed a co-partnership with W.F. Cook for the purpose of introducing the electric telegraph into England. Their first patent was taken out in 1837, and the system required five needles, 
with as many wires for their manipulation and a six wire for the return current. Wheatstone developed numerous improvements during the next few years, and as early as 1840, a dial instrument showing the letters of the alphabet was patented. Numerous difficulties were encountered and overcome, and by 1844, the enterprise was on a sound financial basis. The operation of working a telegraph was at first naturally regarded by most people as a mystery and by many as a fraud. When communication was established between Paddington and Slough, a distance of about 20 miles, the wires were insulated partly by silk and were suspended through goose quills attached to posts along the Great Western Railroad. The telegraph company not only invited the patronage of the public in a legitimate business way, but it also exhibited its apparatus as a novelty. This short line speedily established itself in the good graces of the people through its instrumentality in securing the arrest of a criminal. The construction expenses incident to the use of a large number of wires, to say nothing of other difficulties, led to the reduction of the number of needles employed to two, and one in which a single wire was sufficient. A single needle is now almost universally employed wherever the needle system has survived competition with other forms. The movements of the needle are readily applied to signaling the alphabet by combinations of swings to the right and to the left. It will be remembered that in Orsted's experiment, a reversal of the current through the wire reversed the direction of the deflection of the needle. The operating key is so arranged that when its handle is turned to the right, a current is sent through the line which deflects the needle in the same direction. And when the opposite movement is made, the current is reversed and the needle swings to the left. The alphabet may and generally does correspond with what is known as the Morse code. A swing to the right is interpreted as a long signal or dash, and one to the left as the short or dot signal of the Morse system. For many years, the needle system of telegraph was used almost exclusively in Great Britain, although it never succeeded in gaining a foothold on the continent of Europe or in any other part of the world. Its principal advantage is the comparatively feeble current required to work it, but it is slower than the Morse system and does not lend itself to sound reading or to methods of securing written records of the messages which it transmits. It has therefore almost entirely given way to other systems, even in Great Britain, although, as will be seen, it is retained in connection with long ocean cables. And within a few years, a self-recording device has been successfully applied to it. The system of telegraphy now almost universally in use is one which originated in America and whose development was nearly contemporaneous with that of the needle system. In England, the fundamental experiment about which the telegraph grew was that of Orsted, while in America, the electromagnet, as constructed by Sturgeon and improved by Henry, was made the basis of the invention. As there has been much misunderstanding concerning the distribution of credit for the evolution of this system of telegraphy, it may not be out of the way to consider at some length its important phases. Much credit must always be accorded Professor S. F. B. Morse, through whose indefatigable labors and persistent faith the commercial value of the enterprise was first established. Born in the last century, he reached the age of 40 years, before having apparently given a single thought to what was to be the great work of his life. 
His early training was that of an artist, although he was always fond of scientific pursuits. He studied in London under the best masters, and was highly successful in his chosen profession, some of his works bringing him great renown. His first conception of an electromagnetic telegraph seems to have arisen out of a conversation with a friend on board the packet ship Sully, a voyage from Harve to New York in 1832. In this conversation, some experiments of the French were described, in which electricity had been transmitted through long distances. Someone remarked, It would be well if we could send news in this rapid manner. To which Morse at once replied, why can't we? And from that moment, he devoted his energies to accomplishing the desired end. During the remainder of the voyage, he made drawings of forms of apparatus and considered the transmission of signals into an alphabet. He does not appear to have been familiar with the principles of electromagnetism at that time, and it is affirmed that the use of an electromagnet was suggested to him by the gentleman with whom this first discussion was held. On reaching New York, he began experimenting upon the subject, and in 1835, he had completed a working model of his recording instrument. It was not until 1837, however, that he was able to put two of them in operation at the extremities of a short line, so as to be able to both receive and send signals. In that year, his apparatus was exhibited to many people in the University of New York. In the following year, he made an unsuccessful effort to secure aid from Congress to establish an experimental line between Washington and Baltimore. He then visited Europe, but failed to secure patents for his inventions. During the session of Congress of 1842 to 43, he again struggled to secure recognition and an appropriation to enable him to build his experimental line. The scheme was considered quixotic by many members of Congress, and at the last moment he despaired of success. But during the midnight hour of the last night of the session, March 3rd, 1843, a bill was passed appropriating $30,000 for the line from Washington to Baltimore. In the meantime, many apparently insuperable obstacles had been encountered in the attempt to secure the successful working of the apparatus. In the beginning, Morse used a magnet with a few turns of wire, as Sturgeon had done, and a single cell of battery. With this, his instrument failed to work through more than a few feet of wire. This difficulty was surmounted by taking advantage of the researches of Henry, using what he called an intensity magnet and many cells of battery instead of one. Although by this method signals could be transmitted through a comparatively long distance, they were still too feeble to print themselves upon the moving strip of paper. To overcome this difficulty, it was only necessary to introduce the device known as the relay, by means of which the work on the main circuit was reduced to making and breaking the current of a local battery, on the circuit of which was the recording machine. In this short circuit, the current was easily made strong enough to operate the registering instrument. This method of working had been devised nearly 10 years before by Henry, and it had also been used by Wheatstone in his needle system. In Morse's first attempt to build his experimental line from Washington to Baltimore in 1844, the wires were placed underground instead of upon poles but the former method was soon abandoned for the latter, which had already been in use for several years in Europe and elsewhere. 
In Morse's first instrument, the transmitter was mechanical. That is to say, the message to be sent was first set up in dots and dashes by arranging long and short type in proper order in a line, and by the regular movement of this line of type, the current was closed for periods of time necessary for the reproduction of the dots and dashes at the other end. Morse did not imagine that signals could be made by the hand with sufficient regularity to produce legible records. This was soon discovered to be possible, however, and for the clumsy mechanical transmitter, the simple key in use today was substituted by the skillful manipulation of which the operator produces dots and dashes with such regularity and rapidity as to leave nothing to be desired. The statements made above, derived from papers of an official character, may be summarized as follows. In the Morse telegraph are found the battery, for which credit must be given primarily to Volta, and then to Daniel, who in 1836 devised a battery nearly constant in its strength, an essential requisite to its application to the telegraph, the key or transmitter, which, except in details of construction, is practically that in use since experiments on electricity were begun. The receiving instrument, of which the essential feature is the electromagnet, due primarily to sturgeon, but modified and improved so as to be available for this work by Henry. The relay, by means of which the local current is put in operation, which was used by Henry and also by Wheatstone, the line wire suspended on poles, a method first practically used by Dr. W. O'Shaughnessy at Calcutta in 1839. While it appears, therefore, that Morse cannot justly claim priority in the discovery of a single scientific principle involved in the telegraph, it must be admitted on all hands that he played a most important part in its development. In Europe, all effort had been in the direction of the use of the needle system. Morse was quick to see the advantages of the electromagnet, and especially the ease with which it could be made to leave a permanent record of the message. His use of a simple armature with to and fro motion, armed with a style or pencil, which marked long or short lines upon a moving slip of paper, and his alphabet made up of these dots and dashes, show great ingenuity and mechanical judgment. As a measure of the value of his system compared with the English, it is sufficient to repeat that today it has driven nearly every other from the field. End of section 29